right, we are going to go into the series, the, the, the new series. So if you're new, this is a new series we're starting up right now. It's called Right on the Money. You guys, you know what we're talking about today? I know you're really hoping that that's some metaphor for something else. You're sitting there going, oh, please. I hope they're talking about like right on the money in the way you serve. No, we are talking about something that nobody likes to talk about. We're talking about money. I know, I know it's, it's hard. I mean, you don't, you don't talk about that with your friends. You don't talk about that with your, with your family. You don't talk about that with your spouse because you just get into an argument when you talk about it with your spouse. I, you guys, I had somebody that invited me to a party a couple years ago. I went to it and he gave me this big tour of his house. And at the end of it, I asked him, I said, man, what is your mortgage payment on this house? Man, this is, this is awesome. And, he's, and, and he, was, he was super offended by my question. He's going... You're, why are you prying into my personal life? That's my personal life right there. And I'm going, that was prying. He didn't talk to me for a month. And I didn't know that it was because I asked him about his mortgage. And I think about it now and I'm going, yeah, maybe it probably was an inappropriate question. But why? Why can we not talk about this subject? We all deal with it. There isn't a person here that isn't dealing with money in one way or another. We just don't talk about it. And, and, and I also, I know that one of, some of, in, someone in this room right now is nudging their friend that they just invited for the first time. And they're saying to him, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I invited you on the week that we're talking about money. Why, uh, uh, you know, I, they haven't done this before. I'm sorry. I thought I could trust them. You guys, you guys. Their stereotype is the church doesn't talk about money. I mean, the church talks about money all the time. That's the stereotype. The reality is we never do. And the reason why churches never talk about money is we are afraid. We are afraid that you won't come back the next week if we talk about money. We're afraid of that. And so we just don't. Yet it's a 400-pound gorilla on most of our backs for one reason or another. And yet we will never talk about it. You guys, we are going to talk about it because Jesus talked about it. See, Jesus, 15 to 20% of all that he shared and all the different stuff around the kingdom of God, 15 to 20% was about money and about generosity and about, about what money can and can't do. He talked about that a lot. He talked about that 16 times out of the 38 parables. He gave these little sh stories, these parables to help people understand, here's what I'm talking about. 16 times he talked about money. And this is the reason why. Because he knows that right here is where our heart is and that he knows his father wants to flood our hearts with his love. See, God wants to occupy this space. God wants to. And our God is a jealous God. He doesn't want any other gods to, to get in the way of that. He doesn't want anything else to get in the way of that. And he knows there's competitors to our heart. He knows there's things on our heart that compete with that space that God wants to reside in. And so Jesus will talk about the things that compete with God on our hearts. And he knows that money is one of those. Now here's some of the things that Jesus does not do, okay? Jesus does not say that money itself is bad. In fact, the Bible is very clear. It says that, he says that, the, that, that money is not the root of evil, but the love of money or the pursuit of that power that comes from money, that can be something that can lead to evil. But money itself, no, money itself, itself is just, it's, it's our, the, the paper that we barter between uh, to, the, the things that we do and the lifestyle that we have. 
So he's saying money itself is not evil. I mean, you, I mean, last week, last week we talked about Job in here, and Job was a man that had a ton of money, and, and God looked at him and said, man, that is a man that, that knows me and, and loves me. Job was a man of great integrity that also had money. Money itself was not the problem. And so he doesn't call money evil in itself. Another thing Jesus does is he doesn't ask for it. Now, he will talk about generosity all the time. He will talk about that because here's what he knows. He knows that as we are generous, it opens up our heart more. It clears out those spaces that are trying to occupy that space that he wants our Lord, the Lord to be in. And so he's going, I, I, I can talk. Generosity opens that up more. So he'll talk about that, but he, he didn't ask for it. And the other thing he didn't do is he did not, he did not, be, he did not separate people out into here's the people with the money and here's the people that don't have any money. You know, he didn't say, you guys that have a lot, I'm going to talk to you first and, and then I got a different point for you guys. He knew that every one of us are dealing with the issues on our heart and the way that God wants to reside in our heart. He knew that every one of us are in that place. And so he was, he was speaking to all of us and the principles for all of us. I thought about, should we separate you guys out today? I thought everyone with two, making 200,000 or more, you guys sit over here. And I see that, that we already have that. That's good. You guys are most, I see, yeah, yeah, we do. And uh, you guys that aren't making squat are over here, which is where most of our college students are at. Yeah, I, I know it. I know it. My, my, my daughter, she goes, Dad, I got eight bucks to my name. I got a $15 rent payment and I got an $800 student loan payment. She says, that's where I'm sitting. And I'm like, man, yeah, yeah, you're on this side. You're over here. You know, he didn't separate it out because he knew we're all dealing with this. Now, one other thing I think Jesus didn't do, and I'm speculating on this, but I don't think Jesus sat before he went out and talked to a bunch of people, I don't think he sat there beforehand and said, should I talk about money? Because they might not come back the next day. I don't think he hesitated one bit because he cares that much for us. He cares for us and he cares about our hearts and he cares about the places where we, we, we put parts of our heart on loan to somebody else or to something else. He cares about that. And he wants to speak to that. And so he speaks very boldly and clearly around, around money and the good and the bad and what we can do about it. So we're going to do that too over the next four weeks, okay? So, so sit back and let's, let's, let's dig into to, to life and money, all right? Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us in this. God, our defensiveness will come up in an instant with anything that's set up here. It will. God, we'll admit that right now and we will confess that right now, that the walls will come up as soon as we say anything that might, that might trigger something. Lord, I pray that as soon as they come up, you'd knock them back down. As soon as they'd come up, you'd knock them back down because, God, we want to take steps closer to you. And if that means having to be honest about where we stand and health around the issue of money, then, God, help us and speak into that and be bold in that and be, and, and, and be straightforward in that, Lord. And we're willing. We're willing. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to say the words for us. We're willing. And we want to hear it. So speak to us in it. It's in your name we pray, amen.
All right, here's how we're going to get started. We're going to go to one of the great sermons that Jesus gave. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. So, so what's happening is Jesus is going to these different regions, and, and the excitement around him is growing, and more and more people are saying, I want to hear more about what this guy has to say. And then he would go into certain regions, and, and those guys, man, they just, I mean, the word spread that Jesus was in the area, and they couldn't wait to want to hear more about what Jesus had to say. Well, he goes into Galilee, and the people are just going nuts. They're going, we got to go see what, what Jesus is going to say today to us. Well, he comes and walks along the, the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and he starts to speak to a group of people in this natural amphitheater that, you could, that his, his voice could project quite a bit. I've been there to the Sea of Galilee. Jackie and I got a chance to go there with a bunch of college students years ago, and we got to see this area and, and where they think that the Sermon on the Mount probably took place, and, and they see that your voice can carry, and so he could talk to thousands of people, and, and, uh, and that's, that's what they think happened right there is that a bunch of people gathered together. Jesus, are talk, Jesus is talking to about the kingdom of God. He's saying the kingdom of God. Okay, this is, this is it's, it, when he's talking about the kingdom of God, he's saying that God is, God's reign is now. It's not for someday down the road. His reign is now. And as God speak to us, speaks to us about the kingdom, he wants transformation to happen on the inside. So instead of God giving this big broad stroke of the kingdom of God, he's saying, no, it's going to come from the inside. And then it's how we living that out on the outside that continues and projects the kingdom of God. And so the, so the Sermon on the Mount is God. God speaking to us about the things that he's doing on the inside. He's saying, and now here's how I want you to live that out on the outside. Now, as he's speaking that to us, he, he looks at all these people and he knows the things they're carrying. He knows the gorillas on their back. He knows the stresses in their life. And he looks to them all and he says this. He says, don't pile up treasures on earth where moth and rust can spoil them and thieves can break in and steal. He says, but keep your treasure in heaven where there is neither moth nor rust to spoil it and nobody can break in and steal for wherever your treasure is, you may be certain that your heart will be there too. He's basically saying, you guys, what are you valuing? Right now in your life, what are you valuing? He's looking at this massive group of people and he's going, what are you valuing in your life? He says, I can see it in you and I can see it in your lives. I can see it that there's so many things that you are so consumed by and you are so worried by and you're so, you're so, you're, you're, you're so stressed around and you're so, you're so thinking about that he says that you cannot take with you to eternity. You can't take it with you. When you die, it's going to stay there and moth and rust will destroy it. And yet that's what we're consuming our life and our thoughts around. And we're going, gosh, if only I could get that hardwood floor in my house. If only I could get that hot tub, my back wouldn't hurt as much. If only, if only, if only. And we keep saying that and he's going, man, you can't carry that stuff to eternity. And he's going, he's going, where are we placing our value? Let's come on, look at the ways that we can invest and actually store up treasure. And, those, and they're stored in eternity for us. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord above. So he's going, man, when you, when you invest in your wife, when you love your wife well, man, you are storing up a treasure. That is a gift from me that you're storing up. That's going to, you're going to go to heaven. It's stored up for eternity. When you love your kids well, you're storing up a treasure for eternity. When you are looking out for others, and you're storing up treasures for eternity because that's the way it's going to be in eternity. 
And when you're you're spending time with me, that's what we're going to be doing a bunch of. That's storing up treasures for eternity. And he's looking and he's going, man, how do we consume our life with the things that we can store up for eternity? And how much do we consume our life with the things that are going to rust away? I, I, Francis Chan talked about this a little bit. He's, he's, he's a pastor in California and, he's, and he had this rope and he spread it across the stage and around the entire auditorium. And he goes, you guys, this is eternity. And at the end of the rope, he had this tiny little mark, this red mark. And he goes, and this is our life on earth. And God values this life on earth. This is important, this life on earth. But how much of this life on earth are we consumed with the things that aren't coming with us? How much are we so wrapped up in this stuff? And, and, and did, I, did I make enough? And where's my 401k at this point? And did I do all of this and this more? We go, we go, you can't take that with you. And Jesus is going, come on. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. May that be the thing that consumes you. Not because we can earn that. Because that's what eternity is going to be all about anyway. So, so then he keeps going. He goes on later. Now, this is where he gets a little bit more pointed, okay? So he's talking about treasures, and he gets more pointed. He says, he says, no one can be loyal to two masters. That word master is in Greek is kyrios, and it means someone who is in charge by virtue of ownership. It's translated Lord. Someone who's in charge by virtue of ownership. And he's looking at all these people and he's going, you guys, my father is looking at you and he's saying, you are mine. I've known you from before you were born. I know every hair on your head. I I, I know you. I love you. I have a plan for you. I'm right there with you. I'm giving my son to live and die for you. I'm giving you my Holy Spirit to be present in your everyday walk. He's going, you're mine. I want you to be mine. And Jesus is saying, that's a master. But there can be other masters. It's chirping in your ear saying the same thing. He says, you can't serve two masters. He's bound to hate one and love the other or support one and despise the other. He's, and then he gets, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, Jesus is saying, all right, I'll get a little clearer. You cannot serve God and the power of money at the same time. Man, you can picture Jesus slowing down right there stopping with all those people. You can't serve them both. Wanting that to sink in. Because what he's ultimately saying is one's going to claim ownership. One's going to claim ownership. You are mine. He's going, he's, he's ultimately saying money has the power to claim ownership. And say, you are mine. Now, if you're sitting in that, in that space and you're sitting here and you're listening to that, it's easy for us to just go, well, 
I would never say that money is claiming ownership on me. Yes, yes, there's times where I stress about it. Yes, there's times where I, I, I have debt to it. Yes, that there's, there's times that my lifestyle has, has gotten far beyond what I can afford. Yes, that there's times where I get so consumed by it. I'm so obsessed by it. I'm so worried about it that I'm constantly thinking about it. Yes, those things happen, but that's not ownership over me. That's not, that's, that's Jesus going a little bit far with that. But here's what Jesus does. In between his conversation about treasures and then the rest of it about about masters, in between there, there's this tiny little part that Jesus says this. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You know, Jesus, you know why Jesus says that in between those two things? He's going, he's going money has a, has a, has a chance to, to blind us. It has the power to blind us, that you don't even see it. You don't see that it's become a master. And, it, and when we don't see it and it's unhealthy, we, it can be dark even with light all around it. It can be dark because we don't see, we don't see the unhealthiness of what's happening around us. We don't see that it's actually become a master. When money takes control, when it claims ownership over you, it has the power to blind you from what's healthy. And we don't realize it. Now, I want to I do something this morning that, that, is, um, that is really hard for me. And, and, is, um, and is, it's, frankly, it's embarrassing. But I want to talk to you a little bit more about, about my experience with this. Because if there was anybody that would say money did not have, a, was not a master over me, money did not have ownership over me, it would have been me. I would have said, no, no, I've been serving the Lord my whole life. I've been serving the Lord since, since I've been married. Come on, money doesn't have ownership over me. I have one master. But I want to share this about my life because, because I, I really truly want us to go, oh, oh, oh. That's what ownership might look like. I want to talk to you more about this because for most of my adult life until the last couple of years, for most of my adult life, I have been trying to serve two masters. Here's how it went. Uh, when Jackie and I first got married, uh, it was, it, we, I was getting paid $16,500. I'm going to be honest with you about numbers around here, okay? So if you feel like, oh gosh, you're prying, I'm prying into myself and telling you guys. So I guess that's not prying. I could just do that, okay? Um, $16,500 I was making uh, when, I first got my, when I got my first job as the mission facilitator in Seattle. I didn't have any, um, any, any benefits, so no insurance or anything. But Jackie and I were under the poverty line, so we qualified for government subsidized insurance, and that allowed us to have Ella. So so we had our first baby and, and making 16.5. Now, I know all you college students think that that was during the Great Depression, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It, it was 16.5 was not very much money, even in 1994 when it was happening, okay? Um, so so 16.5 and a baby. The next year, we got this massive raise, massive raise. We got up to 19.5. And at 19.5, we thought, well, with this massive raise, now, and with benefits then, we can have another child. So we had Jack. So, so now we have Ellen and Jack. There's two of them. And we're living in the inner city of Seattle in the projects. I'm riding a, uh, the RTD bus, or it wasn't RTD, but I was riding the, the, the public transit to, to, to the University of Washington area for where, where I was working, making 19.5. Okay, so now let's fast forward seven years. Seven years later, now I'm up in Bellingham, Washington, doing high school and middle school ministry, and we're up to 28,000, 
Okay, seven years into marriage, 28,000. See, this is what Jackie, when I asked Jackie to marry me, I'm going, I am going to show you the world, Jackie. 28,000, Bellingham, Washington. It was awesome. Um, and so I'm up there with her. And because we were up to 28, we could have another baby. So we had Maggie. And so, so we're, we're at 28,000, three kids, little apartment, beat up down, beat up Saturn and, and riding the bus to, to work. So that was the, at that point. And then finally, a couple of years later, I get a call from down here in Colorado. And they said, come, and, and a guy named Peter Barnes called, talked to me and said, come down here and start running our college ministry. And, and so Jackie and I took the job down here in Colorado. And that's when our ship came in. That's my, my mom always told us, man, when, you're, when our ship comes in, it's going to be so much better. Ship, S-H-I-P, you guys, your ship comes in, okay? Um, <laughs> when it... When it, when it came in, it was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with all this? Because we got bumped up to 40K. So now we're at 40,000. And of course, then we have Abby. So we have 40,000 um, and, and, and we're, we're living now just high on the hog because we've got a ton. Um, so, so in the midst of all that, I would love to say that we were super good with our money because we didn't have very much. So we were super sharp with it, but we weren't. It was just the opposite. We didn't know where our money was going. I mean, we knew for in general that we couldn't afford a lot of expensive things, but we didn't know where it was going on a day-to-day basis. We were just kind of, we, we kind of just turned a blind eye to it. We were, we were hiding from it. And so we didn't, we didn't do anything with it. And, 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 and on top of it, we were making some foolish mistakes with it too. We had a car that was broken down for a year and a half that we finally ended up selling, but we were paying insurance on it, 150 bucks a month. We were paying insurance on this car that was just sitting there on the side of the road doing nothing. You know, we could have sold it back then, but no, we did that. You know, but the worst thing that we did, the thing that was probably the, the hardest part and the, probably the most embarrassing part to share with you guys is that, is that anytime anything big happened, like, you know, the, a car needed a new, you know, alternator. It feels like your car always needs an alternator. Every six months there's an alternator problem. And, and, and our car needed an alternator, and so there's 700 bucks. And so we're spending 700 bucks about every six months or eight months on our cars because when you didn't have as much money, you have a bunch of cars that are 20 years old and they're breaking down. Well, that's what's happening for us. And so, so debt started to pile up. And then we would live beyond our means and debt would pile up. And Christmas would come, we want to give a few more gifts and debt would pile up. And the next thing you know, we've got eight or $9,000 in debt. And we're going, well, what do we do now? We don't have the money to pay that off. But luckily we had a house that you could refinance. So we refinanced the house and that paid off the debt. And then the pattern would be, happen again. And, and this time we're going to do it different. And over time, it happens again. And over time, it happens again. And so now we're looking at our house today and we're going, we owe more on our house today than we did 20 years ago when we purchased the house because we just kept living beyond our means. We kept living in this debt. We kept living going, we don't know what's happening. We don't know where it's going. Now, see, at this moment, you could, we could stop right here and we could say, well, yeah, you mismanaged your money. But was it, a, was it a master over you? Well, as, you, as I think back at all of those times, you start to see other things happening and you start to see other patterns. I'd go play golf. Here's an example. I'd go play golf and I knew that we couldn't afford it. 
And so I would go play, and, and I didn't get to play very often. It was like every six weeks or something. It's like, man, I don't want to play every week if I could, and I can't. I can only do it every six weeks. And so what happened after about nine holes, if I wasn't playing very well, I'd get super frustrated. I'd get really angry. I'd chuck a club. I'd swear. And the guys with me are going, you're no fun to play with. And, and, and you guys, the response wasn't because I was playing bad. It was the guilt. It wasn't the golf. It was the guilt of going, I shouldn't even be out here because I don't have the money to do this, but I'm doing it anyway. Jackie and I would get together to have a conversation around our finances, and oh my gosh, were those war zones. We'd sit there together, and we'd start looking, at it and I'd go, oh, this entire time, by the way, our savings account never went above $2,000 for this, this whole time. And so, so I'd look at it, and I'd go, our savings was down to $1,100, and I'm going, why is it down to $1,100? And, and I said, Jackie, where'd it go? And then we're looking at overdrawn, 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 and it kind of came out of savings. And you just go, why did it do that? And then I'd look at a number, Target, 400 bucks. And I go, 400 bucks at Target, Jackie? I said, what happened there? And she said, well, we had to get dish soap, we had to get groceries, and we had to get coats for the kids. And I'm looking at her going, why do we need dish soap? <laughs> and, and, and coats for the kids? They're not growing that much. They could wear last, last year's coats. Now, I, I joke about it, but you guys, those conversations, and some of you know them, those conversations are brutal. Those conversations, we hated them because we didn't like, we didn't trust each. Well, we did. It wasn't about trusting each other. It was just like we, neither one of us knew what was happening, but we knew it wasn't good. And so we're trying, here I am with this woman that I love, that I, that's my partner for the rest of my life, that I'm just, that, I'm, I'm, that I, we're supposed to be a teammates encouraging each other on, and we're adversaries in this conversation, and that's what it's doing to us. You get that alternator, and it gets, and, it, and, it, and it's 700 bucks. It doesn't just affect you that day. It affects you the rest of the month because you're thinking about it. You get pulled over by the police for speeding. What's your thought? Your thought isn't, oh, no, I just got pulled over. Your thought is, crap, 170 bucks for the ticket, and now my insurance goes up. Those are the thoughts you have. You go, to a, you go to church and someone talks about generosity and you're going, generosity? I can't be generous. I don't have any money to be generous. We gave into that lie too. So then what happens is you start to personify it. You start to put human qualities on it and you start to say to yourself, it's a bully. Money's a bully that pushes me around. Money is a bully that tells me, that tells me I am a failure. It's speaking to me. And the more we live in the debt, the louder that voice chirps at your ear. Because it's speaking to you. You are a failure. It says to you, I'm not a good enough husband. I mean, I've always wanted to give Jackie, I've told you this before in here, I've always wanted to give Jackie a beautiful kitchen. I've wanted a kitchen where she can hang her pots from the ceiling. I want a kitchen for her that she can be a gourmet chef in and pick that pot or that pot, not the one deep in the cupboard that she's trying to get through. I want pots hanging from the ceiling. You guys that have pots hanging from the ceiling, you don't know what you've got. I'm envious of your pots. I'm envious of them. I'll walk to your house and I'll see your pots and I'm going, I want those pots. It tells me I'm a bad husband. I haven't provided for my wife. When I see my kids with the debt that they have around college, I'm just going, well, I was a bad dad. 
Money tells you that you're incompetent as you compare your salaries to people in your own field and then people in other fields. And you just go, man, I'm incompetent. Money scares us. It frustrates and angers us. It belittles us. Money belittles us. It makes us feel desperate. It robs us of joy. It convinced me that selfish was the only path I could take. Just, I have to be selfish. I can't afford to look around for other people. Money made me skeptical of others and resentful. It convinces us that this is where we will find significance. It convinces us that this is where we will find security in a, in a, in a world, an uncontrollable world. We want that control and that's what's going to give it to us. It convinces us that this is where we're going to find safety and yet we don't feel safe. That's a master. That's a master that has ownership, and it leads us to fear. It, 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 we don't see God's provision. We certainly can't look out for other people because we have to look out for ourselves. And we start to blame. We start to blame our salary. We start to blame our job. We start to blame bad luck. And we live in that cycle. And the only way out of that cycle is more money. We're convinced that the only way out of that is if we only had a little bit more money, then I'm okay. Only a little bit more, then I can be generous. Only a little bit more, and then I, can, then I don't have to worry about this stuff. We're convinced that that's the answer. You guys, this is what God calls an idol. When you look at Old Testament, you see all this stuff around idols. This is what God calls an idol. An idol is anything that we give power to that God never intended to have that kind of power. And when we start to personify money as something that does that to us, we are giving it power that God never intended for it to have that kind of power. That's an idol. When we're talking about the, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, you guys, is a very low bar. God sets a low bar for us. Don't steal anything. Don't kill anybody. Don't sleep with somebody else's wife. That's a low bar. We can make it. We can do that. But he also says, he also says, don't covet your neighbor. And you're looking online and you're seeing somebody else in that beautiful house they've got, man, and you're coming. That's, here comes the idol speaking to you again. It's saying, it's saying, don't put any other gods in front of me. I don't want to share this space. And that's what we're doing. Zechariah writes about this. He says, he says, the idols speak deceit. Diviners see visions that lie. They tell dreams that are false. They give comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wander like sheep, oppressed for a lack of a shepherd. They wander like sheep, oppressed for a lack of a shepherd. Jesus takes that, that idea of an idol and says it's a master that is chirping in your ear saying, you are mine. Now, I know that there are people in this room that resonate with this. I know there are people that know that 400-pound gorilla on your back. The studies that are out there say that 75% of people that even know their budget are living $8,000 or more above that budget each year. And that's the people that know about a budget. The ones that don't, we don't know where it's going. I know some of you feel that desperation. I know some of you feel that embarrassment. 
I know some of you feel like there's no way out of it. And you guys, if I was preaching on this three years ago, four years ago, I, I would have had to stop right here. I would have stopped right here and I would have had to say, Jim, finish the sermon. <laughs> but, but something's happened in the last couple of years that, is, that has changed in that. And one of the things that I've recognized is that there is hope. That when Zacharias says we're wandering around in need of a shepherd, a shepherd has come along. And Jesus has come along and he is not here to condemn. He doesn't condemn. He just says, I want to steal back what's been stolen from you. I want to bring it back and I want this to be God's. Jesus is a shepherd that says, I want to redefine for you what freedom looks like. Because I think we have a warped sense of what, we, what our idea of freedom is. He says, I want, to, I want to redefine for you what security is. I want to redefine what safety is. I want to help you out of the prison that you feel that you're in. And I know some of you feel like you're in a prison. I know it because I knew it too. I was there too. And Jesus comes and says, I got a key. We can unlock this thing. Come and walk out with me. He gives us, there is hope in this. For me personally, here's what had to happen, you guys. I had to answer a really important question that the Lord was asking of me. I had to answer a really big question. There's a, there's a, there's a scene in, 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 the very, in Genesis, early in Genesis. It's when Adam and Eve are, have, have eaten from that, that, that apple, eaten that apple from the, the, from the tree of good and evil. God told them not to, but they did anyway. And what'd they do? They went and hid. They hid and they had this hide and seek contest with God because they're hiding in their shame and they're hiding in their embarrassment. They're hiding from God. And God comes to them and look what he says. Look what it says. It says, it says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man and said, where are you? See, they, see we look at that and we go, so God was having a little hide and seek with them. But you guys, this is like a little kid hiding in his bedroom under the, under the blankets and says, dad, you can't find me. God knows exactly where they're at, but he asks a really important question for all of us. Where are you? Man, that is a question that he's asking with all kinds of things in our life. In the midst of a dating relationship, he'll ask you the question, where are you? In the midst of, of, of your career and what you're doing in your career and the good decisions you're making and the poor decisions you're making, he's going to come to you and ask you the question, where are you? And in the midst of this, in the midst of money, in the midst of this challenge, in the midst of this chirping in your ear, in the midst of this other master that wants control, he's asking us the question, where are you? Where are you in relation to me? Where are you and where you want to be? Where are you in storing up treasures in heaven? Where are you in storing up treasures on earth? Where are you with freedom? Do you honestly feel free or do you not? Where are you? And God was asking me the question, where are you? And I had to come face to face with God. And I had to say, God, I'm embarrassed. God, I have been irresponsible. God, I'm desperate. God, I don't think there's ways that you can change this. God, I, I have been so selfish because I don't know how to not be. 
God, help me. And I believe that in that moment, God is looking at me and saying, it says, you are storing up treasures in heaven. Because this is what it'll be like. We'll get to have honest conversation. Just be honest with me. And you know who met me? Who met me was a shepherd that was not condemning, was saying, let me walk with you in this. And here's what happened. Through that experience, God gave me courage. Courage to go to somebody else and say, help. So I went to a good friend that I knew was very good with his money and finances, and I just said, Jamie, help me. I said, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I told him, I'm embarrassed, and I've been irresponsible, and I need help. And Jamie sat down with me, and he walked it through with me. And you guys, do you know how embarrassing it is when somebody that is good with their money asks somebody else, so how much money have you been spending on groceries? And my answer is, I don't know. How much are you spending on going out? I don't know. What's your plan around giving? What's your hope for how much you want to give over time? I don't know. It's so weird, you guys. Budgets for other things, I can sit with my staff and pour over the budgets that they each have for their areas and their ministries, and they make fun of me for it because I'll put my readers on and I'll just go, Chris, why are you $6 over in your, in your camp account? You know, they're just, because I look over my readers, I just look over them, and Chris makes fun of me for it, because I'll just go, what's going on here? I can be a stickler with somebody else's budget, but here I am with mine, I'm going, I don't know. And so Jamie put some numbers together, and he started helping me to see, here's where your money's going. But, and he set a budget for me. But here you go. Some of you guys, that's all you need. But for me, a budget can sit in this little tiny folder on your desktop. And it's a nice little cute folder. And it says Stephen's budget in it. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Now we keep going. You know, it's just the numbers in a, in a file. So I went to another friend, Janie, and I said, now I need to put some legs to this. Now I need to put something tangible in this. Now you need to help me to, to see how do I actually do this. And she gave me tools. She gave me tools to recognize where my money was going and where it needed to go, and the plan. And as she set up the plan, and as Jamie set up the budget, and as I started working on that, you guys, what happened in my life, I can only say, was freedom. I went to Janie when I went to her and I asked her for help. I said, Janie, here's what I'm most afraid of. I'm most afraid of losing the freedom to be able to spend on whatever I want. And she says, really, you wanna use that word? <laughs> you wanna use freedom? It doesn't sound like you've been free. It actually sounds like you've been stuck. And she's saying, I actually wanna give you financial freedom. I wanna help you with this. Now the tools that I use that she's using helping with me might be different from the tools that somebody else uses. There's lots of great tools that are out there. But the key, the key is not even, it's not even Janie's, it's not even Jamie's. The key is stepping towards the Lord in this moment and recognizing in this moment to say, I need to ask, where are you? And where do you want to be? That's the number one thing we got to do. We ask, where are you? And the next thing we got to say is, Who's, who am I serving? Am I blinded? Am I making decisions at work that are affecting 
eternal treasures? Am I making decisions with my finances that are affecting eternal treasures? I have to first go there, surrender, and recognize that there is freedom, freedom in what Jesus can give me to say, I am your Lord. You are mine. And this is the first time in my adult life over these last couple of years that I can honestly say I can breathe. And that grill is not on my back. This last year was two weddings in the summer, student loans starting to kick in that we're helping them out on. I joked with you guys that I'm broke, but the reality is I've come through this summer and Jackie and I look at September, we say, okay, we know where we're going. We know where we've been and we know who's Lord of all this. It's gotta start, where are you? Father, we pray that you would help each one of us Help each one of us in the midst of our hiding, in the midst of our temporary uh, uh, answers to our hiding, in the midst of the weight that we feel. God, we pray that you would help us to surrender to you, to be honest with you. And we thank you that you're not a God that condemns or beats us down or, or is disappointed, but a God that wants to walk with us because you want to breathe life into us and you want us to breathe. I pray, Lord, for the people in here that have been having trouble breathing, that they would start a baby step, a one step forward in this. I know, Lord, that it's, it, it, we, can, well, we can fall back. I know that we can make mistakes again. I know that we can, we can, there's a lot that has to be done. One small step forward, Lord. Help us. Give us courage to recognize where something else is taking up that spot. We want that to be you. So we surrender it to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.